Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another episode of our podcast, Med Family. I'm your host, Eric Acker, and I'm here, of course, with... Karen. <laughs> Karen, yes, my lovely wife, who's so excited to be here. I don't know what you want me to say about that, <laughs> but... Yeah, so we had a relatively busy week and kind of a busy start to our online portion. Online, quote-unquote. It's really not. (laughs) Yeah, so so we we wrapped up, obviously, last podcast, we wrapped up our our three weeks, quote-unquote, with Dr. Lomboy, our in-person IM segment, and now it's supposed to be just online IM, but it's, of course, if you listened last week, I have a few things lined up this week, and so... Today was another day, uh, another two days, I guess, with Dr. Lomboy I had helping the new guys get acclimated. And then we also had a live drill on Saturday, and we had practice for that on Thursday. Thursday. And uh, then we did some mechanical work on Friday. So we, we've been we've been pretty busy. <laughs> we keep it pretty busy anyway. So let's see, where do you want to start, Karen? <laughs> let's start with the drill. Because I think that's the biggest thing. Um, The school does it in conjunction with several different agencies. So I think the National Guard, the police. No National Guard this time. Oh. But there was definitely police. Fire. Fire. uh, And police departments from all over the place. So county, city, and different cities were in response as well. Multiple fire departments, EMS, and then medical students. I don't know if there were... I, I don't think that National Guard was there this time. Um, I don't remember seeing... I, I, I do recall seeing a few people in uniform. I just don't remember seeing them in mass, like... Like all the other... Yeah, yeah. and there wasn't any Black Hawk helicopter. Like, yeah. There was a helicopter, but no Black Hawk. Yeah, so last year's drill, I believe, was a bombing. This year's drill was a um, bank robbery that led to a car chase that led to a school shooting? Essentially, yeah, a, an active shooter situation. Yeah, so um, they do these once a year. It's What's the actual organization so called? So it's uh, the Medical Reserve Corps of Georgia. And so Georgia is one of the few states that has a statewide, I should clarify, statewide medical reserve and we run these drills so if disasters happen tornadoes hurricanes bombs exploding that they can activate medical personnel from all across the state to go to the location that's needed to assist in some of these uh disasters for lack of a better word yeah um so I don't remember, I I remember some of the fellow students talking about it last year, um, which Eric wasn't able to go last year because it was the same weekend that he took step one. So we really wanted to make sure that he got it in this year, but I know... I took my step one Wednesday and then I came back and Thursday was, Thursday was the training and then... Saturday was the event, and I was just so tired from, I was just mentally exhausted and just wanted to kind of kick back and relax. I didn't, I came, I came home, of course, the same day I finished my step one, and then I was just like, I'm done, I'm done for the week. <laughs> so I didn't do that any of the the training last year, and it looked like they had a pretty good time, um, and it's it was an exciting. Event. Yeah. So I definitely wanted to take advantage of it this year when it came around. Which... Yeah, I didn't. I didn't remember last year that they ran through the drill twice, but I I could be incorrect with that. This year they did allow the medical students to have um, the hospital experience as well as the in field experience, which I thought was interesting. Anyway, I wanted to get kind of going back towards Thursday since that's what kind of kick started, or at least training for the event on Saturday. And we were basically preparing. It was a kind of a condensed version of Stop the Bleed. It was a a very 
watered down version i think what police officers get i think police officers get a little bit extra on top of this where you're going into a live uh, warm zone or a live fire area and you're going to pull people out for us the medical professionals we're not armed obviously we're just going in with whatever gear we have we're supposed to find people who are injured assess whether they are in in what state they're in and pick you know the two the people who are in most need of getting out of there quickly and pulling and pulling them out and not doing a whole lot of extra work besides you know maybe stopping the bleed putting a bandage on here or there but really just pulling somebody out i think police officers get a slightly different version of this training where they they get uh, the tactical element of it where you get you can assess people who are injured but maintaining some kind of awareness of where you need to be aiming a gun or like if you're pulling a police officer who's wounded out who's still able to operate a weapon how to maybe drag them out of a hot zone while they can still protect your back so all sorts of tactics that are kind of used our training was of course a more <laughs> streamlined towards medical personnel like your job is to basically just assess stop bleeding and then and make sure airways are open and try to figure out who's the most injured who's in the most need of getting removed out of the situation and then doing it so that was essentially thursday's <laughs> goal we practice a lot of oh gosh, what would you practice we practice needle decompressions so if someone had a, a pneumothorax we practice placing needles in the right location to decompress that we practice stopping bleed on giant wounds so shoving your hand inside of someone's wound and finding the bleeding and putting pressure on it while constant, trying to put constant pressure on while you're applying gauze we learned a little bit of uh, nuances between different gauzes as uh, impregnated gauze that has coagulant involved in it but that that's very particular because if you move it and you don't keep pressure on it it kind of loses it's it's like basically creating a clot and then picking like it's like having a bleed that scabs over and then picking the scab it you will have clotted it and then you will have moved the clot and now the bleed will be, still be there and the clotting stuff will no longer be effective so it's a little bit trickier to use but it also can be beneficial you have to only keep pressure on that wound for like i don't know three to five minutes something like that as opposed to just regular non-impregnated gauze, then you have to hold onto a wound for like 10 minutes. So in a situation where you might have bullets flying around, you probably don't want to be holding someone's wound for 10 minutes. Uh, so anyway, that was what we were kind of going over. And again, it's all situational awareness. Be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of what you're, where you're going. And then, of course, how to carry people in and out of a situation about hurting yourself. Um, so that was all Thursday's work. Um, and that was pretty, I thought that was pretty well done. And we had a really neat instructor who had a pretty good pedigree. Uh, he was, I think he started off his career in EMS. He became a nurse, worked in ERs. I want to say he joined the military. And there's a little bit of a gray area here where he somehow got tactical training, ended up being a combat medic assigned, uh, contractor assigned to an ambassador in Iraq. Oh, interesting. So he got to scoot along with the, all the bodyguards and all the people assigned to guard the ambassador of Iraq, uh, U.S. ambassador to Iraq. And so he got a little bit of that combat level experience. And, of course, those medics aren't. You know, not like the old style, you wear a big old cross on your helmet or something like that. You actually can carry a weapon. So he got to do that a little bit. And I'm not sure what he's doing now besides teaching these classes. But so that was a, a neat experience having him come and talk to us and, and work us through some of the stuff. And of course, periodically throughout the entire day, he would just yell, you know, right arm under fire. And you had to pull your tourniquet out and apply it to your right arm. And if you were under fire, you had to drop and try to find cover while you're doing it. Or if you weren't under fire, then it's not a big deal. But it was right arm, right leg, left leg, left arm, like and random body parts. And tourniquets are not pleasant. <laughs> uh, they hurt, especially the leg ones. I found that the leg ones are... Maybe you could use your imagination on this one. But uh, he... 
so the general thought with applying a tourniquet is three inches above wherever the wound is at least. And he basically said, you can just ignore that in a live fire situation, high and tight. So as far up on the limb as you can get and as tight as you can get it. Don't, you know, don't, don't be like, oh, that's three inches. Oh, that's the elbow. Let's go up a little bit higher. It's like, no, just go all the way up to the armpit area and just cinch it down. Because, I mean, realistically, you don't want to, if you're in a hurry, you don't want to think about it. You cinching down just below the, just below the uh, humeral head is probably ideal. It will stop the bleeding everywhere below it, so that works. And, of course, the leg. Uh, the leg is a little hard because when you get a little high and tight, you get a little bit, some pinching going on. You got too high on. and too tight. <laughs> you get some pinching going on. You can use your imagination on that. So, uh, not, not too bad. Anyway, that was... So that was Thursday. Um, and then the main event on Saturday, as Karen kind of said, it was like a bank robbery with three people that led to a car chase that led to, I don't know, one bank robber blowing up his car, uh, two other bank robbers going into the school that was adjacent to the bank because they wanted to get to their other car on the other side of the bank and then shooting people who were along the way. So that was essentially the scenario that we were preparing for and they did run and drill twice i don't know if it was particularly for the fact for the benefit of the medical students to move from one location to the other um obviously law enforcement was very involved and very much on point for extractions there was the rescue task force the rtfs that's what i was trying to think of earlier <laughs> and so essentially the fire department and police departments were coordinating you would have two police officers with two firefighters and at least two medical students. And so the police officers would basically lead the rescue task force into the school to find and extract people who've been hurt. But they had, at this point, had already set up a hot and uh, hot and warm perimeter. So we weren't going into, you know, a hot zone. We weren't intentionally going into a hot zone. So that was uh, the first kind of aspect of it. So we we're Going in, and the schools already got paid. Not, I don't know if paid or volunteers who some people probably in the theater department did makeup on. So some people had compound fractures, some people had gunshot wounds, all sorts of you know makeup all over people to kind of give us an idea of what was going on. And they they of course had little slips of paper that would would also tell us what was going on. And so then once you dried the patient out, there was a group of people doing triage. And so they would triage them and then they would end up in the hospital. So that was the kind of the second. My first first half of the day was in the hospital. So I'm just working backwards here. So um, when we did RTF, just kind of going in behind police officers, finding, finding students who were injured. And we could only take at most two people out at a time because the group, our group was actually a group of six rescue personnel with two police officers. It's a funny story about that, but <laughs> essentially we'd go in, try to find someone, put a tourniquet on them, and then put them on a stretcher and try to run them out as fast as, well, not run them out, but get them out as fast as we could. And one of, uh, so the funny story is that you're supposed to be very, they, they impress upon you very quickly, like that the fire department had practiced this drill once and they ran in front of the police officers and you're not supposed to run in front of your police officers because your police officers are providing you cover. So when you're in the hallways, when you're moving in between rooms, the police officers are your protection. They're there to make sure you stay alive, so do not outrun your protection. And so it was very much impressed upon us. You stick with your police officers. Once you get into your room and you're looking for patients, that's when you're more or less in charge. The police officers just watch the door. And then when, you, when you're ready to move, you talk to your officer and the officers move with you. And they move in front, one in front, one in back. On our second run, so we did, you make multiple excursions into the, and there was at least six, seven teams, RTF teams that were doing this. So we, we had made one run in, pulled somebody out, and then we, made, we were making our second run in. And we got to the point where the simulation got a little bit more real because they had smoke makers going and our our rear police officer the story's a little murky because the rear police officer i think the story essentially the official story is that he saw that the smoke makers or the smoke 
artificial smoke was setting off the gas alarm in one of the rooms and he was the police officer for the location and so he thought he would just sidestep from our rear coverage and just turn off the smoke uh, gas alarm but then he started having issues with the smoke and then i'm not sure where he ended up exactly because we kept going and i tried getting <laughs> i tried getting our leaders if you were in the front attention that a the person in front of me has really short legs and she wasn't keeping up <laughs> <laughs> so we were like easily like i don't know 30 40 feet away from our next person and i was trying to get their attention that they needed to slow down because they were outrunning us and the the gal that was not moving as quickly because she this was her second um go at it and she wasn't really willing to jog to keep up anymore but then we turned around we noticed that our police officer wasn't there and i tried getting people's attention and they just kind of shrugged and said oh well keep going and so in my mind like of course like the last thing i see is i look back and he's like the police officer's i don't know 100 yards down this hallway back from where we came and he's leaning up like he's got his arm on the wall and he's leaning against his arm against the wall like he's dying <laughs> like, and he's not a young man he's like he's like your dad's age All right. <laughs> so you, you kind of get the picture and so like I'm not, the, the entire time i'm trying to tell like i told our lead police officer you know they're supposed to be brothers in arms or whatever i told him like hey the, the back guy is gone i don't know where he's at he's just not here and he just like i don't know and I told all the other officers who were in the hallway, and they were all kind of shrugged. So then off we go hauling a 300-pound a volunteer down the hallway, which, yes, we didn't get volunteers who were like, oh, uh, you know, buck 25, freshman college student. No, we got the volunteers who were like, I weigh 300 pounds, good luck, and don't drop me, please. <laughs> <laughs> Eric closed his exercise ring. Oh my gosh, I was dying. <laughs> Not all of them were that, but like it was, it was tough. And like you're, I mean, again, like you have, I don't know, eight people, if at least I don't know, at least six people on that stretcher. So you, you wouldn't think it would be all that hard. Well, it's bulky. I mean, yeah, it's, it's awkward to carry to in the first well, place. Well, there was a set a point where like I had, like there was one person in literally in the front kind of walking sideways and then I had me and another guy on my side so easily at least 150 you know to ourselves um anyway so that was rough I get we get all the way out to the triage area and I there's the the guy who gave us all of our training and all of the gear and everything and all this stuff about how we don't outrun our police and I mentioned to him we don't have our back police officer anymore. He's gone. He's like, what do you mean he's gone? And like, well, I turned around and he was gone. And when we came back, he wasn't there. <laughs> so I don't know where he's at. He's like, you mean real world? Real world gone? Like, because, you know, the simulation, this is all, everything's simulated. So you have to distinguish between what is real and what is not real. And I said, well, I don't really know. I, I again we i i turned back and it looked like he was having some difficulty breathing and it, that makes me sound like a horrible person for seeing someone having difficulty breathing 200 yards behind me and then not going like we should go back for him <laughs> um so they had to call i think it was the only time during the two runs they had to call a stop to the exercise well, they, everyone they, on the radios and dispatch, everyone had to basically stop. Everyone stop what you're doing and find this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like five minutes later, they found him and he was having some issue with the smoke and EMS took care of it. It wasn't it wasn't a big deal. And we ended up getting another police officer to be our, our tail. But <laughs> I mean, it was certainly interesting. Um and of course, like during the exercise, you're not, you're not, if you are in charge of guarding the medical personnel, you don't leave them, <laughs> which is kind of what the guy did. He decided that he was going to take care of a gas alarm problem. And so by doing so, he left the entire medical personnel, which if this was a, you know, an actual event you know, with live fire that could have been potentially dangerous <laughs> leaving, I don't know, six medical personnel with one police officer to, 
to kind of guard the, all of them. Like that, that could have been dangerous. Um, anyway, that was that was our session. So of course the patients come out. They go to triage, and they of course have the green, yellow, red, uh, and black. Um, obviously, we would not we would not bring out black. So black is the we're pretty sure you're dead. So we're not going to waste our time bringing you out at this point. Like during during a live fire thing. You only want to bring out the people you think you have a good shot at saving, saving, Save or or are very much close to dying. But like if their like neck is really distorted and or they don't have a pulse, they're not breathing. Like well, you you're probably dead now. So it's not worth dragging you back when we could drag someone else back who's in slightly better health. So the black never made it out the triage. And props to whoever it was who <laughs> decided that they were going to be the dead person in the middle of the ba- <clears throat> in the middle of the main hallway. Like there was this gal, uh, a little bit larger, um, but she was the dead person in the middle of the hallway that every team had to walk past. Oh, and like her eyes were like wide open. <laughs> it was really creepy. Um, she's probably sitting there please don't step on me please don't I'm sure step on she me got, I'm sure she, it was dark it was like dark and smoky and I mean, there's enough light that we could see her obviously but I'm sure she got kicked at least a couple times so props to her I, I don't think she moved the entire time we were going back and forth so like I don't know how I don't think I could have stayed still on a nice cold tile floor like props to her for being able to do that I, I don't think I could have and then the, uh, the other segment, and this is what I did first, was the hospital segment. So, of course, all these patients getting triaged, yellow, green, blue, red. And, of course, red are getting moved via ambulance, EMS, across campus to the where they train the nurses, the medical assistants, surgical techs. They have a whole building set up that actually is like has patients' rooms, has a two ORs that could be functioning. They have they have the ORs actually built to work as an OR in case there's ever a need for it. Um, but and this of course just for training. Then they have they 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 took other rooms and they have those rooms set up as ICU and ER. And so patients come and we're supposed to again triage them. Early on in the morning we kind of separated that uh, of you know, there's three of us in the ICU. There was three people operating labor and delivery for God knows what reason, and and then there was two two of our medical students that were in the ER, and then uh, a few people down in surgery, and I think one or two people in med surge, and then that those are just the medical students. There's a a whole slew of nurses uh, who are also a part of this exercise, and they were in all these locations as well, and, and to a large extent running the show. That's, <laughs> this is their building, this is their program, and a lot of their nurses, or at least the, leaders, the leadership, are you know nurses who work in ICU or ER, and so a lot of them knew what needed to be done, and so a third-year medical student wasn't going to boss them around, <laughs> which is fine. Like, I know a decent amount of medicine that I might make medical decisions, but the nurses are going to, you know, okay, well, we have to check this. We have to check this. We have to do this. We have to do these vitals. We have to do that. Like, and it's fine. Go for it. Do it. Do what you got to do. So that's essentially what we did. And we all, we all had our kind of stations because uh, that was our plan was like, oh, well, these patients were going to come in and the ER, ER is going to send them over to med surge or to ICU or surgery. And so we're going to need a few pe- bunch of people in ICU to manage those patients. And realistically, it came, like, as soon as patients started flowing in, it was like, no, we don't need three people in the ICU with three labor and delivery all in the ICU. Because I, there was an idea, a thought that there might be an OBGYN-related injury coming in, like a gunshot wound no. to a pregnant woman or something like that, or stress-induced labor or something like that. That was a, a thought that there might be, so that's why they had labor and delivery. <laughs> but it became very apparent that it didn't make sense for us to be hanging out at our stations while everything came through the ER. So a bunch of us just moved over to the ER and started helping triage and treat, getting things moving. 
I did the hospital in the first run, so it was a little bit chaotic. I, I think that there was probably some organizational components that were implemented later. Uh, we we kind of debriefed the, the next team, so the team that was doing the rescuing in the morning. We chatted with them because they were going to do the hospital in the afternoon, and we kind of talked about what worked well, what didn't work well, what, you know, some of our best laid plans and how reality kind of snapped that away from us. So like, oh, well, we're going to have all these doctors in all different places and it's going to be, you know, we're going to be playing out the role of a critical care doctor. And then reality was that we were all ER technicians or ER doctors moving patients and the labor and delivery doctors were transport. Like, so it ended up just being different and so the i think the afternoon went a little bit smoother they took some of our uh, feedback to them and they implemented their own plans and it sounded like it went pretty well so that i liked a lot more because it so rtf running into the room is there's a level of excitement because you you're going into danger you're going into the smoke but realistically there's not a lot of thinking that has to go on it's like okay don't don't be stupid be pay, pay attention to your situation and assess a patient, decide real quick, savable or not savable, and look around the room as there other, you know, how many patients are there, pick what to pick the two that you know are the most need, and take them out. Um, you know, pick, pick them up and get get them out of there. And it's a lot of it's very physical. <laughs> so most of, most of the job is physical. Most of the job is carrying someone a quarter of the mile, you know, a quarter mile out of the building. That was fun. It was it was exciting, but. The hospital I liked better because I felt like, okay, now we're in a stressful situation. All my medical knowledge is being pulled on. How do you treat this person? What do you do? The nurses are looking at you and going, what do you want to do? And you're going, uh, what's the vitals? What's the things? <laughs> what's, what's wrong with the patient? Uh, what do we have going on? Let's start an IV. Let's, <laughs> you know, you're trying to think through because you're, you're basically giving the order to the nurse the nurse is carrying it out like okay start an iv the nurse will start an iv they, they didn't start ivs on the patients obviously they had like an arm an artificial arm with an iv on it that the nurses had to place an iv on and then of course we're having to talk to the patient and figure out what's wrong with them some patients are altered mental status and they really played that part up a lot some are screaming and yelling that, you know, where's my hand? Where's my hand? Because they don't have a hand. All sorts of different things. So it's unique. It's challenging. But it does it does demand you to try to think about your medical knowledge, drugs, what medications you would give, what, what fluids you would give, what treatment options are available. And then, it, then doing an actual assessment on the patient and going, okay, if we have you stable now, where do I send you? Do I send you to the ICU or do I send you to the med surge? Um, how bad are your injuries? Should you go to the OR? And are, are you so critical that you should go to the OR before these other people? And so it's interesting in that regard. I still don't really want to do ER. <laughs> That's not really something I want to do, but I, I can see the appeal to that. Like if that was every day in the ER, that would be exhausting for starters uh, and that would be terrible. Terrible and exhausting. Maybe not in that order. But I can see the appeal to an ER if that was kind of your life. But I don't think that's exactly the life of the ER doctor. And no, I think that's like once a year maybe. Yeah, hopefully not even once a year, right? <laughs> well, we've got 4th of July. People blow things up yeah, or blow themselves up. I guess you're, you're looking at it slightly <laughs> different. That's a good point. It's not just like... You know, downtown Chicago, you know. No, no. <laughs> New Year's and 4th of July, worst, worst holidays for emergency response. Yeah. Yeah, so I like the hospital aspect better. Uh, it was more challenging. There was a little more pressure to try to get the treatment correct and figure out what was wrong and go through the process of each patient. And, I mean, there were a few that... I think I did I, I did a triage on one patient who walked in and just assessed that he had had a fracture. He had a scrape on his head, and it's like, okay, he didn't hit his head. He just kind of scraped it. So I'm not really wanting to do a uh, CT scan on him. I did an assessment with him, you know, whole check up while he was sitting down in one of the chairs because we didn't have a bed available. And I made the decision that 
he just needed to go to med surge and get the ortho console and then, you know, figure out what to do from him there. He wasn't in any danger of dying, but some of the nurses felt like they needed to do a more thorough, they needed to do a more thorough look over him and that was fine. You know, it's, <laughs> you can get mad at the nurses and be like, I'm the doctor and I said that this patient should go here and throw a fit and the reality is I'm a third year medical student so if this nurse who's got probably 20 years of medical experience wants to do a full check over this patient and make sure he's good to go before we send him over to med surge fine I'm not going to argue with you on it <laughs> just do it I don't mind it didn't change the outcome but yeah which kind of makes you feel a little bit good like you diagnosed I, I, it correctly. My, my assessment <laughs> was correct. I'm not sending <laughs> patients who are bleeding out to floors that can't handle it. So, so that was that was the that was the day. It was it was pretty it was pretty fun. I guess they didn't tell all the neighbors like what was going on. Oh, because uh, you'd think they would with with <laughs> the because so. Eric sent me a video part when he was waiting to go in. Uh, with it showed like all the police and fire arriving and you could hear gunshots at that point and so i mean they're blanks yeah so i mean it's not not gonna kill anyone but (laughs) you would think that if there was a whole bunch of gunshots and a whole bunch of sirens going off that they would at least let the nearby (laughs) residents know so they don't freak out well then you have like these like big convoys of like police cars coming in like, like i said like multiple police departments were responding so you had like lots of like 10 cars long convoys coming into the area parking in different spots and you know another wave coming in and of course all the ambulances moving back and forth and then of course they had the helicopter that was no higher than the, than the trees because the helicopter was searching for the shooters and so all the apartments around, like, they weren't, <laughs> you know, it's like they weren't told necessarily that maybe the one, like, immediately adjacent to it might have been told in, like, an announcement, but the one just across the street from the school was not because uh, one of the students today I, I, I was helping out with Dr. Lomboy, he was saying, like, he was out walking his dog and suddenly, like, helicopters <laughs> out and shots of fire. He was like, what is going on? I don't understand. But it was also kind of funny because you could see like when when the the morning action started, you know, it usually starts with a, a big explosion because they actually had a a car, they put they blew up something inside of a car, and they put a huge smoke bomb out, and then of course there's gunshot shots going off, and there's this lady like this middle aged lady who's got her headphones on and she's just power walking like down the street, <laughs> like rows of cop cars are flying by and she like does have any clue of what's going on like totally oblivious we're on the hospital just looking down going man like she must have some really good noise canceling headphones on she had no idea what's well but i guess in real life i mean in some sense like you have your looky lose yeah so and you'll get that in real life too so crowd control is a is a thing that you do have yeah. to. So, some of the some of the people who were in charge, like safety people, that was one of the things that they were told, like to be close to the perimeter in case some of the residents, any nearby people living nearby, might show up with a gun or something like that. Because you have a lot of law enforcement with long guns, you have a lot of undercover detectives with long guns, and you don't, and they're all unloaded. They all have. Um, tape on them that symbolize that they don't have anything chambered and all the all the deputies and officers do not have their um, uh, clips or magazines magazines thank you in their handguns and so it's pretty obvious that like a lot of people who don't have guns (laughs) um, but somebody who is hearing shots may not understand that Uh, anyway so that was a, a really neat experience I definitely enjoyed it. If I ever had the opportunity to do it, I probably would do it again. Um, shifting gears. We spent a lot of time talking about that. Yeah, well, it's a good experience for students to have. If you end up in Georgia, it might be something that you want to look into doing. It's a good learning experience. It's good to have on your CV. Yeah, you, some technical and some knowledge that you end up learning that 
maybe hopefully will you'll never have to use but could be beneficial if you come across a car accident or anything like that okay i mean just because we did rtf training and hospital training doesn't mean like the stop the bleed training wasn't useful very useful like it's probably more likely you're going to use stop the bleed sometime in your lifetime than you are hopefully ever going to have to do a live shooting speaking of which eric has decided that he's buying us better first aid kits for our cars yeah, well, <laughs> it makes sense medical <laughs> medical grade first like, aid kits. it makes sense to have okay we have gauze we have band-aids and we have wraps like all that stuff's good that's that's all good stuff like nothing wrong with it but you come across a, a bad accident and somebody's like severed an artery like eh, there's not enough gauze in the world to, to stop that bleed so it makes sense to have a tourniquet in your car so i have one coming for each of our cars and i know karen, karen didn't appreciate I, I, so this is how a relationship works is i i know when i'm making somewhat of an impulse buy <laughs> and so i make sure to just check it off with karen so i was showing her like okay this is what we're gonna buy it makes sense for us to have tourniquets in our cars just in case and that's something that you can use yeah and I can use, and so it's good. And then we can use it on people we come across in car accidents or whatever. You know, you never know what you're going to come across. So, okay, check. Uh, uh, a, a cat Generation 7 tourniquet. Got it. Got two of them. And then quick clot, you know, because you have bleeding and you want to stop the bleeding quickly. You get something that can clot the ble- you know, stop the bleeding very quickly. Quick clot. Got it. Karen was okay with this. It wasn't too expensive. And I'm like, okay, we're I, doing well, good. And, and I like, can use that. Like, like, hey, you might come across someone who needs CPR. And do you really want to do mouth to mouth? No. Why don't you get some of these disposable single use bag and bag and mask things? I'm like, okay, great. We can buy two of those, one for each car. Good. You know, good. And they went too, they went too expensive. Great. And then I got to the pneumothorax decompression needles. And that's when Karen's like, no. <laughs> we don't need that. When are you going to use that? I'm like, well, I you never know. I don't know how to use that. And <laughs> if somebody is to that point, they need a medical professional, and I am not one, so I'm not using it. Two, it is a huge needle. I mean, it's uh, in a six car with four long. kids. Six inches. Long. You put it in your first aid kit. I mean, you don't let the kids play with it. No, but I mean, the kids go go all over the place when we put them in the car and we strap them in one by one. So, yes, we don't let them play with it, but yes, they are kids and they get to do everything. Fair enough. And I wouldn't feel comfortable using it or knowing when to use it. I mean, yeah, it is important to have some kind of training on using those needles so you don't just jam a needle all the way into somebody's <laughs> lung. Uh, or you slice a bunch of nerves and arteries and veins because like, it's like the key to those needles is making sure you are placing it on the upper aspect of the rib and not the lower aspect of the rib because on the lower aspect of the rib is all the veins and arteries and nerves. If you hit the upper aspect, you're fine. You're not going to hopefully not hit anything too valuable there, but you have to know which uh, between which ribs to go for, which line to use, all, all sorts of stuff. And then, of course, you know, how to feel the depth of the needle. So I understand. <laughs> and, like, and as Karen kind of said, like, by the time you might think that you might need to use it, hopefully EMS has shown up. Yeah. And if EMS has shown up, they can use it. <laughs> they can find their own needles and, and stab somebody. Like, you know, and that's a good point. Like, I'm not sure. I would like to think with some of my medical training that I would be able to recognize a pneumothorax, but it may be unlikely that I would notice that <laughs> initially. And some people are like, oh, well, you see trachea deviation. The trachea deviation shows will prove that they have pneumothorax. Like, yeah, yeah, it will as soon as and that's the last sign that you have before they die. So, your <laughs> deviation is not the sign you look for for pneumothorax. That's as much as I know. Obviously, there's other things I know, but in either case, that was nixed off of the shopping list. I'm not, I am apparently not allowed to have 10 gauge <laughs> <laughs> chest needles. 
<laughs> I saw sutures, like uh, easy sutures on the, the Amazon list as well. Oh, yeah. I was looking for some easy, like, like gosh, what are they? Stere- like, stereo strips sort of stuff where you don't have to actually put a needle through someone. I think what, the, the adhesive, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, they didn't look exactly like stereo, stereo strips, though. No, they weren't, they weren't exactly, but they were pretty similar, I thought. And I looked at, like, three of them, so I'm not sure which one ended up on the Amazon list. I don't know. I didn't buy them. I didn't actually buy anything off of Amazon. Amazon is actually one of the worst places to buy this stuff from, from what I could tell. Like, everything I kept looking for was very expensive on Amazon and much cheaper on different websites. So I'm not sure what that deal is about. You would think life-saving stuff might be cheaper to buy in bulk or buy it from Amazon, but apparently not. Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, that one's uh, pretty neat. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure those are probably going to end up in the shopping cart at some point. But, yeah, yeah, Eric has created our own mini. You should be relatively prepared for. Yeah. Now we just need jumper cables. <laughs> I mean, we, we, had a, we had a situation on Friday, one of our first times playing sports, where somebody got cut. Um, enough that they were bleeding. They wasn't like profuse or anything. They weren't going to die. And it was just, it's a little embarrassing when you have 15 medical students all in clinical rotations and they, not a single one of us had a first aid kit. (laughs) None of us. Like, like we all have the technical knowledge to know how to suture. Some of us have, some of the people in the group have actually done suturing on live patients. Some, you know, like it's a whole plethora of knowledge on that field and like none of us had first aid kits so it does make sense to have at least a first aid kit in the car so i wasn't i mean i'm not gonna i wasn't it wasn't enough to break out a tourniquet over but no no i mean the little sutures maybe yeah but Any, anyway so that that really covers our moc training and live drill and then uh, Friday, uh, just as a quick note, we finally got the part for the truck. It was on back order for a while, so we finally got it. Uh, I think uh, one of special thanks to Brandon for coming over and helping me helping me install it. Friday, late morning, early afternoon, we got that thing installed, ready to go before soccer, which was great. Uh, the truck seems to be running okay, knock on wood. And... Yeah, so far, so good. Uh, it was <laughs> a bit of a trick. Uh, it was a conduction plate for the transmission, so we had to unscrew the valve cover for the transmission, pull out a whole bunch of stuff, and then replace this um, conductor plate, put everything back together, refill the transmission fluid, which is surprisingly difficult um, on a Ford F-150. Like all, all my previous vehicles, there was always like a... I don't know, a hole, you know, that you could put a funnel into and pour from the top. And no, not that you had to like use this weird sophisticated tube system to pour. That's what we ended up doing. It was like this long tube and pouring from (laughs) outside of the, you know, from, you know, from the front wheel and using the tube to feed into the transmission. And then you'd have to turn on the, because where the, the hole was, it was, like only a few inches off the bottom of the transmission, so you could only get like four quarts of transmission fluid in there. So, so you had, had to turn it on, turn it to on cycle to, it so through. it could pump it in, and then you keep pouring it in. So it was a a lot more difficult to get transmission fluid in. That was like really the most difficult part of the entire project. <laughs> but thankfully, Brandon helped me out with that, and we have a two working vehicles again. Yay! Knock on wood. Until Karen decides to try to sell my truck. <laughs> he's so bitter. Gas prices are getting up there, oh and gosh. he's going to be going on all these away rotations, the and he's planning so, on driving. Such a beautiful truck. It is. I am happy for the truck. I am not happy at how much it costs to fill it up. Oh, no. It's, uh, it's quite terrible. <laughs> it's quite terrible. So this week, I got... I don't know what the right word is, but I... I um, ended up working a couple of days with Dr. Lomboy again, uh, and mostly out of the idea of just getting the next uh, two students next, up and running. Yeah, the next two students up and running because there's some, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a steep learning curve in the beginning because you're, 
you're having to answer tons of questions that he's throwing at you. You're you're having to handle hospital rounds and clinic patients, and then two E H uh, R systems. So they thought it was beneficial in the past when other students stuck around and helped new students get acclimated. And so I I really just provided just a little bit of detail like okay this is what he finds really important so please focus on this and then I helped them get set up on the EHRs and act you know uh, oriented a little bit so they knew where to go for what information and it took a little bit of practice and I think most EHRs it just takes some hands-on time and they seem to be getting a pretty good grip on it uh, understanding where to document things and how to document things because his EHR system and how he likes to do his notes is a little bit different than uh, how we typically do our soap notes. So there's, there's a reason behind the process, and he, he expected it to be done. And so we, we worked really hard yesterday, which was Monday, and today, which is Tuesday, trying to get things going. Today, I, I really just wanted to be there to help them with the hospital, because Monday we don't do hospital, Tuesday we do. So I was trying to get him oriented to what the Perry Hospital had and then what they were going to be expected to have done by the time he shows up. Uh, so it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot to get done, a lot to do. And then, of course, I felt like it was like my job as the leader of sorts. I'm there to help guide them, but my, my job wasn't to be An the... Answer questions. Answer the, and yeah, my job wasn't to answer the question. Like, my experience with that rotation was like I learned the best by being put in that situation. I learned the best by having to answer those questions and maybe feeling a little inadequate here and there. So I didn't want to take that opportunity away from them. I didn't. I want. Them, I wanted them to have that opportunity to answer the questions, show off a little bit. This was you know this was their their three weeks to shine. So there's no reason for me to like step in and and ruin it for them. I wanted them to have the, the opportunity. So I think they were doing pretty good. Uh, good enough that even, I think, last night, he sent, Dr. Lomboy had sent me a message saying uh, that their notes were looking really good and that he thought it, everything was going well so far. So that was a huge positive. And you can take it as either I did a really good job of training them or getting them oriented or the fact that they are actually pretty good students and smart and <laughs> they they learn pretty quick. They didn't need to have someone holding their hand all the time. And then realistically today, like it, again, it was just a hospital in the morning. I did stick around for the afternoon in case they needed me, but it really felt like they didn't need me like at all. Yeah, but... On a completely side note, and I don't know if you're going to get embarrassed that I say this, but after Monday, I asked if he felt like, did they know more than you when you started off? Because Eric always came home feeling like he doesn't. Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I know nothing. <laughs> and he's like, no, they did about as good as, as me and Matt did. Like, it makes you feel a little bit better and more secure as a student. Like you're you're with your peers. You're like when they're put on the spot, they have a lot of the same responses that you have, and the same confusion, the same. You can see the wheels turning in the brain, but like they can't get to the answer, and it's like it's the same feeling you have. So it's like okay, I'm not that different. <laughs> I'm not so far behind, I guess. Yeah. Well, and just like. I feel like sometimes you are your own worst enemy feeling like you don't know, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know and you can get in your head a little bit. And so it, I think sometimes it's nice to just be around other students as they're under fire as well, just to be like, okay, like they're good students. I know they're good students. I know they score well and I'm right there with them. And so I just need to give myself a break a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't help when you, you screw up a, a layup <laughs> though. Cause like, <laughs> All last three weeks, I've, I've been handed every single ECG that was ever printed out that we ever came across. Dr. Lomboy handed me the ECG to look at. And day one, he runs across a patient that has an incomplete right bundle branch block. And he's talking it over with the students and then he leaves for a minute and they're like, what is our, they're like, what is our incomplete right bundle branch block? I know what a, a, I know what a complete 
bundle branch block, but I don't know what an incomplete is. And I was like, oh, it just doesn't happen all the time. It just happens occasionally. You only see it occasionally on the ECG. Like, it's intermittent. And I don't know why I said that. It That's what popped in my head at the moment. And so... Dr. Lomboy comes back into the room and he asks them, what do you think, what's a what's an incomplete bundle branch block? And they're like, oh, well, Eric already told us. It doesn't <laughs> it doesn't happen all the time. And like, the look that Dr. Lomboy gave me was like, what the heck? <laughs> I was like, that was a wrong answer. <laughs> I was like, that wasn't right. I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> for the record, the incomplete bundle branch block is the you still have the kind of bunny ears on the QRS complex, but the QR, QRS complex is not extended. It is still narrow. It's not a wide complex. It's a narrow complex, and so it's incomplete. Uh, whereas a complete bundle branch block, where you would see a wider QRS complex. So <laughs> there you go. You I learned something. We learned it. <laughs> So that's just there's nothing much more like like makes your heart sink a little bit where you're like oh, I got I'm getting all the, I got know all the information all the information and you're like dur. <laughs> but anyways, I think we're probably at stopping time. We've got a little bit longer than we have in the past. So um, thank you for listening. We will have more content next week. I know Eric is working on a special episode. It probably won't be next week. It'll probably be saved up um, so that if we uh, need it during Eric's surgical rotation, we will dump it then when we don't have time to record a night. Um, and we'll see if we can't get another more, a few more of those special episodes um, recorded during our online time um, so that we can, we can stay somewhat consistent. And again, we are very sorry that during these last three weeks, our, <laughs> our podcasts have come out on Thursday instead of Wednesday. Hopefully we can get back on track and keep with our Wednesday um, updates. Yep, sounds good. Uh, you can follow us on, you can follow the podcast on any of the major podcast sites, uh, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, um, Spotify, and then we have our social media presence on Instagram, Med Family MD. Med Family MD. And Karen moderates that. So any questions, any topics you want us to talk about, please go ahead and put those there. Until next week, we will see you then. Bye.